investors to the Absolute Return Podcast, your source for stock market analysis, global macro musings, and hedge fund investment strategies. Your hosts, Julian Klamachko and Michael Kesslering, aim to bring you the knowledge and analysis you need to become a more intelligent and wealthier investor. This episode is brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. Welcome, ladies and gents, to episode 42 of the Absolute Return Podcast. I'm your host, Julian Klamachko. And I'm Mike Kesshorn. Today is a freezing Friday, November 29th. Clearly, winter has started, but we have a hot episode today talking about mergers and acquisitions heating up in the market. We're going to chat about a number of interesting situations and some bidding wars out there. Firstly, private equity firm Apollo, they're forced to increase the price paid for its recent tech data acquisition that was just announced. We previously spoke about it. This is the largest leverage buyout of the year but a mystery interloper showed up and we're going to chat about who that is. It's a famous buyer and we're going to talk about why that's so important. Up in Canada, Catalyst Capital, they lobbed an $11 per share offer for Hudson's Bay, which tops the insider group's $10.30 bid. Is this going to finally put the company in play? A gold deal with Kirkland Lake Gold agreeing to buy Detour Gold in a nearly $5 billion friendly acquisition. Why did Kirkland Lakes stock dropped so much on deal announcement. And lastly, we're going to talk about LVMH. Now that situation turned into a definitive deal in which they made a friendly deal with Tiffany. We previously spoke about how that was a speculative pre-arbitrage situation, but now that has turned into a legitimate deal here. Leading private equity firm Apollo Global Management, they were forced to increase their friendly offer for IT distribution company Tech Data by over 11%, boosting the share price for from 130 per share to 145 cash per share for their acquisition of tech data. Now, why were they forced to increase the price? Well, what happened here was during the GoShop process because Apollo and tech data announced a definitive agreement that was public and they also had a GoShop provision in the merger agreement that allowed the tech data board of directors to effectively shop the company, meaning they could talk to uh, potential other buyers. Uh, for um, interested in putting in a higher bid. And during that process, they received a superior proposal from a competing bidder. And the most interesting and fascinating part of this situation is that the competing bidder was none other than Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, perhaps the uh, greatest acquirer out there. So it's uh, pitting a large leverage buyout shop versus Berkshire Hathaway. Now what happened here initially up Apollo bid $130 and then Berkshire came over the top at 140 bucks per share and then Apollo followed that up boosting their price to 145 and you know Buffett he doesn't participate in auctions so he chose to walk away and it's an interesting dynamic here because you have an LBO shop uh, focused on leverage buyouts and Buffett is a big a pretty big critic of leveraged buyouts and he's famous for saying that he's a purveyor of the UBO, the unleveraged buyout, because he certainly does not uh, have the same love for leverage that these leveraged buyout companies do have. Nonetheless, the increased consideration will cost Apollo an extra six hundred million bucks that boosted the deal price from 5.4 billion to 6 billion marking it still the largest leverage buyout of the year the valuation goes up from 6.8 times to 7.6 times EBITDA which 
on deal announcement when we chatted about this this was a relatively low valuation classic lbo style where they actually buying it at a significant discount to the market and in my opinion that's probably what attracted buffett here or berkshire hathaway what do you think about it yeah so just to go into some background on how the process went with berkshire is bank of america the investment banker for tech data contacted todd combs um one of buffett's pms on november 19th now todd combs he is no he was brought on he was a former hedge fund manager and brought on to manage part of the equities portfolio along with ted weschler um these this was about six or seven years ago in that range but you know, he's viewed as a very strong candidate to become one of the, the next Berkshire CEO. And in my opinion, one of, I would say, the front runner, just based on his past experience and working on deals such as the JP Morgan and Amazon partnership for healthcare, as well as the home capital group deal. He's been very involved in, involved in the M&A side. But so they came to him uh, about six days after the initial deal announcement. The next day, Buffett decided that he'd be willing to offer $140 per share. So a very quick turnaround. Two days after that, Berkshire's vice chairman, Greg Abel, uh, who is actually a Canadian, uh, was- uh, He's then, in Albertan, right? Yes, he sure is. <laughs> and uh, so he met with Tech Data's management team and then the, the next day on Saturday, November 23rd, Berkshire had then made a formal offer to the tech data team, which is a very quick turnaround to come to a formal offer. And oh, oh, certainly they can do that quickly. And as I understand how Berkshire works, typically uh, Todd and Ted can do their own deals. Uh, but if it's above a billion dollars, they need to get the nod from Buffett himself. Absolutely. And the other interesting aspect is just in terms of their streamlined process, as we were talking about, is they really just took Apollo's existing agreement and amended only a few areas. So really saving on legal expenses. Buffett is very keen on really finding any efficiencies he can in the deal. Um, but ultimately, as you mentioned, Apollo did uh, come in over the top. Likely that will be the end, but Berkshire likely won't come with another with another offer. Right. I just wanted to comment on the uh, the pre-arb situation on this one prior to the deal being announced because I do remember when it got announced at 130 bucks per share. It was initially trading in the market at a slight premium as uh, arbitragers uh, in this kind of speculative situation were bidding it above the consideration. Um, what that was doing was it was pricing in uh, optionality or uh, you know a chance that another bid will come through, likely due to the skinny 16% premium and low 6.8 times EBITDA valuation. And they're proven right in this one uh, in terms of bidding it up uh, north of 130 per share. It wasn't a huge premium, uh, maybe uh, less than a dollar. However, those merger arbs certainly rewarded today the stocks trading near 145. So a big win on that one because merger arbitrage is really the business of pretty skinny spreads. And so when you can earn a, a double digit return in a couple weeks, that is just a fantastic result. Toronto-based private equity shop Catalyst Capital, they announced an $11 per share unsolicited offer for department store Hudson's Bay Co. Now this has been an on and off situation that we've been discussing over the past, what, six months or so, when uh, Hudson's Bay initially struck a take private deal with their chairman along with some other insiders at 
$10.30 per share in which shareholders were not impressed with that price. The reason being Hudson's Bay has a tremendous amount of real estate. Management recently claimed that it was worth nearly $30 per share. I remember a few years ago, they were claiming it was worth between $40 to $45 per share. So the $10.30 per share is not enough for many of the minority shareholders that own the company. Now this catalyst offer comes after they made a tender offer, a partial tender offer for 17.5% of the stock with the goal of blocking Chairman Richard Baker's takeover offer. Now Baker's group controls 57% of the shares. What they're trying to do is take out the minority shareholders here such that they can take the company private and realize that real estate value without having to share it with minority shareholders. Now Catalyst's offer, it's worth one 1.5 billion, about $100 million more than Baker's friendly deal that was supported by the board. I got a quote here from one of the managing directors from Catalyst. He stated, the Catalyst offer is independently financed, superior in both value and treatment of shareholders, and can be completed in a timely manner. This comes from Gabriel de Alba, an MD at Catalyst. He also stated that the valuation process for HBC was corrupted and that Mr. Baker and his allies, armed with inside information, sought to buy out the minority as cheaply as possible. He argues, as we do, that the real estate value of HBC is much more valuable and is not reflected in Richard Baker and his group's $10.30 per share offer. Nonetheless, a spokeswoman for Mr. Baker's group, they said Catalyst's offer is a conditional, non-binding proposal with uncertain financing that is intended to mislead shareholders. What are your thoughts on this quagmire of a situation? Yeah, it's an interesting situation for sure. I mean, Catalyst, they've really ramped up their ownership position, becoming the third largest shareholder. But their main arguments, as you mentioned, is that the management buyout isn't independently financed. It's effectively using shareholder money to acquire the company for the benefit of the management team. Their argument is that their their deal is independently financed. And keep in mind that this is a non-binding offer with nothing being definitive. So Subject to due diligence. Absolutely. And not they don't have a financing condition in there, but it's somewhat irrelevant because it's non-binding anyway. Uh, but they, they believe that their financing will include cash from Catalyst for equity, uh, an asset-based loan, a term loan, and then some additional debt. Uh, but right now, none of that is definitive. And it is just you know a matter of financing um, as the and a bit larger share price consideration. And they also did make one comment, which may be somewhat of an olive branch in terms of that they would be willing to consider a higher offer after doing their due diligence. I'm not really sure how how serious they are about that. That seems like it may be somewhat of an empty promise. Right, right. And so what most people are asking and wondering here is, is Catalyst's offer 
legitimate. Well, I like to point to, you know, what have they done in the past? Are they reputable? Have they followed through? And the fact of the matter is they bought nearly 18% of the company already in a tender offer, a partial tender offer at what, $10 and change, slightly below their $11 offer here. So they have put money on the table. And now if you look at it, they are quite pot committed. So I do think that their intentions are real here and that if given the opportunity by the board of directors that there would be a chance that they could close this not saying it's 100 percent by any means however you need to take that into account but it's also important to note that they aren't the only activists involved here there are two other activists making noise there's landon buildings who owns what six percent there's also a smaller group called uh, sandpiper they've all come out and stated the same thing that this insider bid greatly undervalues the company and they won't be quiet about it and they're going to vote against baker's deal and if he can't get the vote which clearly he cannot because uh, he needs majority and minority approval and that's just not going to happen due to all these activist positions controlling much more than half of the remaining shares so that's another important aspect here lastly you think about why is catalyst doing it i believe that they truly don't want to own the underlying business. I think their main goal here is to get the board of directors and the special committee to commence a sale process for the company that will put it in play such that they can recognize true value for their shares in, a, in an auction process such that many companies can bid on it, many real estate companies can take a look at their vast real estate assets or even private equity firms. We've seen Blackstone just go crazy on the private equity real estate side buying nearly everything in sight. Absolutely, and this is a tactic that is really right out of the Carl Icahn playbook, is make an offer for the company, and worst case scenario, you take it, take it over at a price that you deem to be significantly below what the true value is. But the ideal scenario is that it is sold to someone else. And just to go back to the other investors involved is Landed Buildings did come out after the Catalyst letter and offer, and they did indicate that they were encouraged by the Catalyst offer, that they may be interested in participating in a buyout of the company, which was interesting as well. Really interesting gold mining deal this week with Kirkland Lake Gold announcing the friendly acquisition of Detour Gold in an all-share $4.9 billion merger. This one came out of nowhere. There was no media reports, no pre-arb speculation, none of that. They just straight up announced it this week. This valued Detour stock at $27.50 per share, representing a premium of 35%. But what happened here is that premium nearly vanished because it was an all-share deal and Kirkland Lake shareholders absolutely hated the deal. Their stock tanked about 16% when they announced it. So management of Kirkland Lake, they really have their work cut out for them on this one. I wanted to give you a bit of background on these two companies and why this deal is so controversial from the perspective of Kirkland Lake shareholders. Now, due to a goal, they operate an open pit, a low-grade mine, low-grade gold mine in northeastern Ontario. They had been subject to some uh, shareholder activist activity. Their shares have doubled over the past year, but prior to that, really struggling. Uh, New York hedge fund Paulson & Co., they led a... a campaign to overthrow the board in 2018 after a bitter proxy battle in which uh, they were successful. So they did manage 
to get some changes there and they were calling for a sale of the company so perhaps this is a result of that shareholder activism by Paulson. As for Kirkland, their biggest project is the Fosterville gold mine in Australia. Now they acquired this mine uh, through the New Market Gold acquisition which was a $922 million deal in 2016 and back in the day we held a position uh, through that merger arbitrage trade. Now to give you a sense of what has happened since that new market deal which was just an unmitigated grand slam just a home run of a deal because their stock price has absolutely surged. Back when they announced the new market gold deal their stock was you know between six to seven dollars per share and it's gone up over 8x since then so it's been a huge winner profits have just soared since then however you figure shareholders would give them the, the benefit of the doubt given their historical track record on these acquisitions such as the huge winning deal of the new market gold deal but they're not like i said the stock price tanking here what concerns investors a lot being that um, you look at detour gold's all in sustaining costs. So this measures how much to dig one ounce of gold out of the ground. That's nearly $1,200 per ounce. And if you compare that to the current gold price, that's a pretty low margin. So they're not very profitable at all. And you contrast that to Kirkland Lakes all in sustaining cost, that's about 550 bucks an ounce. So roughly half the cost and a massive difference in margin because you get that uh, operating leverage on that one. So interesting dynamic where you have Kirkland going from a low cost to a higher cost model. Shareholders not liking it. Got a comment here from the Credit Suisse analyst. He indicated that the deal increases Kirkland Lake's overall cost profile and most importantly it raises concerns about potentially weaker exploration updates coming at that Fosterville gold mine that has been so successful in the past. Interesting deal. I should disclose that we are long Kirkland Lake gold stock in one of our funds. So it's important to note that as we chat about it. But what are your thoughts on this deal? Yeah. So look at when you mentioned the higher cost structure being basically, you know, more than double the cost structure of Kirkland's uh, Fosterville mine is the, the, the rationale for that is that Detour is a open pit mine. And so it's not very efficient in terms of their, they're digging up a lot of, of material for very low percentages of, of actual gold. Whereas underground mining, which is it's comparable at the Fosterville mine, it is thought of as more efficient as you're taking less out of the ground and overall decreases the cost. It's a lot more targeted. And so when when looking at the strategic rationale for this, I mean, Kirkland believes, and, and you know, this has been argued against by some of their analysts, but they believe that they're able to get uh, detour costs down to about $850 per ounce. So there would be significant value creation there if they are able to execute on that. Um, as well, it does add to the reserves in, in safe jurisdictions. Um, so they're not having to go to South America or anything like that. Uh, they're able to, this is a Northern Ontario mine and it has 22 years worth of reserves compared to the nine years at the Fosterville mine. So that's some of the rationale. I mean, it, as you had mentioned, investors really haven't liked this deal. Um, Eric Sprott has lost a lot of money on this deal. Yeah, Eric Sprott, he's one of the largest shareholders of Kirkland Lake. And his stake 
was down $140 million, his net worth, just on this deal announcement I saw in the Globe and Mail. He's not sure how he's going to vote. And what investors should note is that this deal is subject to a vote at Kirkland Lake. So they need this to be supported by a majority of shareholders. So at this point, I'm not too certain that they'd you know, be able to get that. It really depends on how the stock trades, if it continues to recover and it has recovered slightly. I think they have a decent chance um, after they go tell their story to investors and really get back that investor confidence. But this deal by no means is a slam dunk in terms of closing because it is subject to this buy side vote and clearly Kirkland Lake shareholders right now not too happy with the big decline in the share price. Absolutely. And one of those other shareholders be, being Resolute Funds, they're also a major major shareholder of in this situation. And it's it's got to be a very high hurdle that management is going to have to be able to convince these investors. Last time we chatted about Tiffany's and LVMH, it was a pre-arbitrage speculative situation. What happened this week is that global luxury goods leader LVMH, they struck a friendly definitive deal to acquire Tiffany's for $16.6 billion after raising its offer effectively twice to land on $135 bucks per share. This results in an ultimate premium of 37%, just to go over the background a little bit here. This definitive deal came one month after LVMH's initial 120 per share unsolicited offer, which appeared in the media. We previously discussed that on the podcast. And this was boosted to 130 bucks per share last week in order to have Tiffany's board effectively open up the book such that they can conduct due diligence on the company. Now, this is really M&A 101 from an investment banker's perspective on how a process works. You don't start with your highest price. So clearly, LVMH had a game plan here to end up probably in the 135 range, but you don't come out with 135 at the start. You come out with 120 bucks per share. You get the stock moving. You put that in the media. Could be in terms of a bear hug letter, which is a letter of an unsolicited bid for a company that you make. You send to the board and you send it to the media as well so they can publish it, get the stock price moving. And that really leads to a turnover in shareholders, more event-driven pre-arb traders, wanting the company to be put into play and that's exactly what happened here and Tiffany's they were actually pretty open to a deal in terms of their executives because Tiffany's had been going through a bit of a struggle. Their revenue was actually down year over year and they're going through a tough transition. So they're open to a deal figuring that they could execute their turnaround strategy better as a private company with LVMH's support, but to really tie up some loose ends and wrap this one up. Successful pre-arb trade for everyone involved and Tiffany's getting a good price. I mean, a 37% premium, who's really going to complain with that one? Absolutely. And moving from the pre-arb trade to the merger arb trade, as it's currently trading for uh, the folks that just get in on definitive deals, is it's now trading at about a 3.5% annualized spread, which is a reasonable spread given the upside of the very small potential of a competing bid emerging. So you're not really paying for any optionality there. Uh, but do keep in mind that that annualized spread is using an end of May transaction close date. And 
what's really going to be driving this is Chinese approval as it's going to be the key determinant for timing. So that estimate in terms of close date could be off. Yeah, in my opinion, a fairly uh, safe deal in my, uh, just because you look at LVMH, a very reputable buyer. They have access to financing, no big antitrust risk here. But like you said, the main risk here just on the timing. I also wanted to touch on the notion of pre-arb versus a definitive deal in terms of event-driven and arbitragers trading these situations. And the pre-arb situation is obviously has a significantly higher risk profile, but you can earn higher returns as was seen on this one. But but those situations have a much higher rate of falling apart. So it is a riskier strategy. Some do it, some don't. But if you want to stick with plain vanilla merger ARB and earn those consistent low risk returns, then you typically want to stick uh, wait until the deal goes definitive until you get involved and, and take a position at that point. And one last comment just on the uh the timing and regulatory framework is do keep in mind that LVMH is a French company as opposed to US company. As we know, US-China relations aren't going so well right now. The French situation is a little bit better, so there's less of a political in interference in this situation given their domicile. And that's all we got for you this week on episode 42 of the Absolute Return podcast. Hope you liked it. And if you did, you can always check out more at absolutereturnpodcast.com. Until next week, we wish you happy trading, good investing, and we'll chat with you soon. Cheers. Thanks for tuning in to the Absolute Return Podcast. This episode was brought to you by Accelerate Financial Technologies. Accelerate, because performance matters. Find out more at accelerateshares.com. The views expressed in this podcast are the personal views of the participants and do not reflect the views of Accelerate. No aspect of this podcast constitutes investment, legal, or tax advice. Opinions expressed in this podcast should not be viewed as a recommendation or solicitation of an offer to buy or sell any securities or investment strategies. The information and opinions in this podcast are based on current market conditions and may fluctuate and change in the future. No representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made on behalf of Accelerate. As to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in this podcast. Accelerate does not accept any liability for any direct, indirect, or consequential loss or damage suffered by any person as a result of relying on all or any part of this podcast, and any liability is expressly disclaimed.